Podcast One production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. There are few Aussie stars so beloved, both back home and in America, as Hugh Jackman. From his long-time role as Wolverine in the X-Men franchise, his Golden Globe-winning performance in Les Mis, not to mention movies like Australia and The Greatest Showman, Hugh has proven he's a force in Hollywood. But you know what they say about behind every great man? Well, with this one, it happens to be his amazing actress wife, a force of nature in her own right, and my longtime friend Deborah Lee Finesse. So it was a treat when I finally caught up with Hugh and Deb recently in New York. Here they are. All right. Well, two of my favourite Aussies in Hollywood, actually in New York. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, Hollywood North. Hollywood <laughs> North. There you go. East. Um, East. I'm bad with juggling. <laughs> thank you. To the busiest people I know, thank you so much for making time to do this. I just think you've both had such an incredible journey and um, I kind of want to go back to the start where oh, I guess the start, actually I should say to people listening, the start for Deborah and I was many years before <laughs> Hugh Jackman entered Jenny the picture. Jenny Cooney was at the start when I first came to Hollywood. <laughs> you were very supportive. Well, you came over, um, you were one of the first actors that came over here and was really just sort of out there. I felt like Columbus. <laughs> I was like, hey, I rang home, we're like, hey, you guys, it's great over here. But yeah, I was. Like, they called me a pioneer. So what day. you were in New funny. York, is that why you were in New York doing acting school and you came to LA or did you just decide one day you were coming? I came to study in New York. All my friends went to London to study or they were studying in Australia and I had been on a trip to New York, loved the energy of the city and I just thought I'm, I wanted to come back here. So I ended up studying at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and then I graduated and then I went back to Australia and just for a holiday, was gonna, I was living in New York, I thought I'll just go back for a holiday. And then when I was back there, I thought, oh, I'll just try and see if I can get some work down here. And I sort of just left drama school, so I was very pumped up with, right, you know, ring all the directors, meet them, say I'm an actress, this is what I do. So I went full on sort of trying out my new auditioning skills in Australia. And what happened was I <laughs> was getting like three films a week. I mean, I just kept booking jobs, so I didn't get back to New York, I kept, doing films in Australia and then I came over to LA with I think shame. with shame yeah was it shame yeah I think it was when was shame. angel baby that was oh, after God. shame but I did a few films before shame um, that didn't get major distribution in those days Australia didn't know how to market their films and even with shame it really should have had a bigger audience which is now getting a big audience here 30 years later yeah. having just screened at the screen forum where you interviewed me but it's extraordinary that a film stands up after 30 years. But I knew at the time when I was making that was an important film. We and do have a great photo of you standing, Deb standing next to her billboard in Times Square from shame. <laughs> that was a big moment for you. Well, they didn't tell me and I just came into New York to do press and then they drove me through Times Square and, I, and they said, oh, look up there. I was like, oh, that's me. And I rang mum. I said, mum, I've got a billboard in Times Square. She said, take a picture. I said, I don't have a camera. She said, buy one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, so I, I came back to Los Angeles with that and then I started working in L.A. doing American films and 
keeping up my Australian films. So I was literally hopping be- between the pond from Hollywood and Australia. It was a great life for a single girl like me. <laughs> <laughs> And back then, the, the Aussies in Hollywood, so to speak, we used to joke it was like a barbecue at Loretta and Michael Reimer's house or, you know, there was or no... Or cocktails at our place. We yes, exactly. The and when you were living mafia. with Tom Berlinson yes. and then that other house on Glenroy, I think it yes. was. Did you feel also like a pioneer in terms of journalism? Were there many journalists out here? No, there no. weren't. No. There weren't. No, we were both like young kids just setting out in our chosen careers. It just felt, it kind of felt like it was like this little, like almost like it was a country town and I was the country newspaper and, oh, look, there's an Australian. Because you didn't interview Australians every week then. Like you might be lucky enough to interview one every six months or a year. Like it was, there was just not, it wasn't like now where there are people and I don't even know they're Australian until <laughs> I show up. And I'm like, how did I miss it's this true. one? <laughs> and there's a huge percentage of Australians now Considering the the demographic, there's so many that were prominent yeah. in the, in the field. Yeah, but it was it was I think for um, for Australians back then it was tougher to break through the accent. Oh, yeah. They weren't convinced about that, right? I mean, Anthony Lapalia had lied about where he was from. Yeah. Finally, to get work. What and was that like pe- for you? Well, people said you have to walk in with the accent, but I hate. It. I always felt like a phony. Like, hi there, how are you doing? I'm Deborah Lee. And you know, I'm like. I wanted to say, hi, I'm Deborah Lee, I'm from Australia, but I can do a really good American accent. But they 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 get nervous mm. from that. I remember I, one of my first auditions was Dances with Wolves. And I know that, and I was in with a shot, but <laughs> I know they said, well, she doesn't really look Indian. Like even, even, though, <laughs> even though I wasn't supposed to be Indian, but was covering for being Indian, and the Australian part made them nervous. So yeah, it, it was still a barrier. And I had to work hard at not having the Australian accent. And so, meanwhile, you were at WAPA. Talk a little bit about your your introduction to falling in love with acting and ha- where you took it. I, I always loved acting. It was uh, something I've done for as long as I remember. Amateurs, high school, eastern suburbs, Willoughby musical societies, like amateur, they amateur, still amateur. Talk about his performances <laughs> at high school. I, I talk about them. And no one else. All your family. Yeah, and my, <laughs> and my family, yes, uh, incessantly. Um, and uh, what else? And college. So it was, it was this weird turn of events when I was studying uh, communications, majoring in journalism at UTS in Sydney. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> you got out. Yeah, well, and I was – I had Wendy Bacon as an um, investigative journalism teacher who, for listeners who don't know, is probably one of the most preeminent investigative journalists in Australian history, actually. So – as she was talking, I remember thinking, I don't have half of the passion she has. And I'm the student, right? And she's the veteran. I was like, this, there's something off here. And at the same time, I was doing a required two points out of 24, a minor. And, and I did acting because I was told that it's the only course you don't – you just have to turn up. There's nothing else required. I was like, perfect. And for the first time in the course's history, they decided to do a play – and I begged to get out of it. And by lottery, I was given the lead part. And I was like, this is a nightmare. And I ended up spending 90% of my time on that. So that was when I was like, okay, I clearly love this. I'm going to do it for a year. I went to the Actors Centre for a year. That's when I was introduced to Dean Carey, who, you know, and everyone from WAPA. And I thought, I'm going to audition for WAPA. So I went for that. At the Wait, same did, time, you didn't try NIDA or anything close to home. You just went yeah. I'm. This is revisionist history. I got <laughs> cut. I got cut at lunchtime from <laughs> NIDA. So I'm not mentioning that interview. Okay. <laughs> and can I mention the biggest conflict to take the TV job on Neighbours? Oh yeah. Oh, I, I, I got a. Yeah, I, I did heard get that. a contract on Neighbours. 
Um, Hugh, look where you could have been now if you'd done Neighbours. Ramsey Street. (laughs) Right. And my little sister was 11 years younger than me. She was 13 in England in high school and I rang her to say I'm in Neighbours. And, of course, she just rocketed up the popularity ladder for those who believed it. And, of course, I never ended up doing it because I got into Whopper and I had this horrible kind of choice over a weekend I had a place at Whopper or do I go to NIDA and I asked my dad actually I said dad what should I do and he said I can't actually answer that for you that's a decision you've got to make I remember being really frustrated about that I was like come on just give me the answer and when I told him on the Sunday night I said I'm going to go to Whopper I remember him going oh thank god I said you so you knew and he goes yeah I said why did you just say that it was a horrible weekend he goes no these are the choices an adult that you have to make and live with and so anyway, uh, but he always was about education, so I went off to Whopper, and that was probably around about the time you were starring in movies. <laughs> <laughs> so was. meanwhile, you were over in LA. I and was kicking up my heels in Hollywood. <laughs> you were a student. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember you did a movie, was it with Brian Dennehy? Or? Yes. Brian Dennehy, that Last was of uh, Last of the Finest. Yeah. I remember I had to pay his wife <laughs> and he's a big man. Yes. I just remember we had a love scene. I said to the director, I said, can I be on top? <laughs> <laughs> and you said he was, his wife made him quit smoking during the whole show. Oh, yeah, he so was he was really, really grumpy. grumpy like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Brian, probably shouldn't have brought that up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but going back to you, did you always know that you wanted to act? When you were growing up? I always did acting, but it wasn't cool when I was in high school because I remember I was... Really? I, it was a, Yeah, it wasn't cool to be in the drama department and I'd sort uh. of been the jock and then I went off and did a few... I remember I was a spear carrier in a Shakespearean play and, like, all my friends were down the front, like, going, oh, and sort of giving me, <laughs> giving me help for being in the play. So, no, but then I remember... I, I was always the class clown, so someone said, you know, you should do that for a living. I'm like, I, I can earn money doing this? <laughs> <laughs> and I literally was just pragmatic. In just like, oh, yeah, okay, that seems like fun and easy. So it was more that seemed like a, a fun job to do. So I think that's how I kind of fell into it. And shame, actually, we talked about shame, was the first time that I really saw the power of this medium. As in you are representing something like the film is about rape. And when I travelled around the world promoting it, so many women would come up to me and say, thank you for telling that story, telling my story. And that's when I really... We weren't just the pie-in-the-face people like, make them laugh. That, yeah. you know, you could really have a state, make a statement and, and really affect people emotionally, make them think about issues. And that's, yeah, and that's when I, I sort of evolved from just having fun. Then there was Corelli. So you had decided to move back to Australia. Had you just... Decided you'd had enough of LA, or I actually this is hilarious. I literally saw a fortune teller in LA, Loretta Crawford. I'm going to blame her for this, and <laughs> she, I, she said, "Oh, you got to see this woman. She's amazing." And I'm always open. I'm a, I like things like that. And I met with this woman. She said, "You have to go to Australia." She goes, "Everything comes into place there. Wow, you have to go back there. You'll meet a man. Ba ba ba. You'll work. Da da da." And it was at a time I think I was hitting the frustration, anyone who's been in Hollywood long enough and the relentless auditions and the relentless rejection. And I just thought, you know what, what have I got to lose? So I went to Australia and she was right. Everything fell into place. And Tell I, me when you're moving in with Mark, what you said to him. Mark Pennell? Yeah. Um, which he was... He had, Mark had been a part of the Gunleaf Mafia in, in L.A., 
And when I went back there, I thought, oh, God, I can't live with anyone else. I said, Mark, uh, you know, you've got to live with me because I'm moving back to Australia. And I saw his apartment and I said, and we can't live in your apartment at all. <laughs> so I'll find us somewhere to live. So. And he said how long? What? Oh, that's right, yes. He said, he said, okay, we have to take a lease out. He said, how long a lease do you want to have? I said, make it a year. I said, I'll be married in a year. Hadn't even met him but knew I was so... I just, I always later. have these, I just always know no. when things happen mm. and I just knew that that was going to be the scenario and we were married a year later. Mm-hmm. So How's that for manifesting? <laughs> <laughs> I know you've told the story before about the whole confessing you had a crush and blah, blah, blah when you were working together on Corelli but what, also professionally, what was that like for each of you? Because I think mm. that you haven't had many other opportunities to work together since then. But that's 101, breaking the laws. You do not have an affair with your co-star, especially early on in the in the series. Mm. So, yeah, we broke rule 101. And I had just made my New Year's resolution. I said, I am not dating any actress and definitely none under 30. Meet my husband. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say it was – I'm sure people think I'm saying it to be nice, but the best experience I've ever had working with another actor because uh, this is before we were romantically involved or I had any idea that Deb was interested – there was a chemistry in a play and we would – every time we had a scene together, it was unbelievable. And I was very nervous. It was my first thing. So This was the first job, first job. out of Whopper? Yeah. Wow. And I kind of got cast. I was very lucky I got cast at a Whopper. They did a Whopper kind of um, audition. The ABC used to just go around and to all the schools and audition everyone. And I got it off that, thank God. And then so I was really nervous, but somehow with Deb, it wasn't like that. I mean, there were some such great actors on that, but I just professionally, I've never had anything quite like that again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was I felt the same way. I'm like, who is this guy? Jack Human? I've never heard of him. <laughs> and and then when we get on the set, it was like, you know, you play tennis. It's like you just hit the ball and you just volley and you have that great uh relationship and we we and we laugh at Ro- mm. uproariously together sometimes yeah. during the scene yeah which wasn't always appropriate but there was an amazing chemistry and that was when i finally realized that the days i'd be on set and i'm like oh he's not in this scene i go oh and i couldn't work it out but it was professionally i missed him playing with him or that i was developing that crush that later evolved ah. <laughs> it's amazing 11 months later you were married yeah yeah, I that. knew. I knew very early. I knew before Deb knew. Uh, <laughs> and even when she tried to break up with me, I knew. Uh, but no, but she we didn't. Were, I did. Yeah, kind of a little bit early oh, on, I three think, weeks sorry, in. A young actor is a nightmare, and I'm, this is just I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I managed to talk around, thank God. But I, I, I'm a very indecisive person. You know this about me. Deb really knows this about me. I can count on one hand the amount of times in my life. Anything has felt that clear to me. And I lo- when it happens, it's such a relief for me because I can torture myself with, well, I should have gone left, I've gone right, or, or that. Or, and I just knew 100%. Even when Deb was I – I even knew when she was like, oh, she's trying to work out reasons to break up with me, I can see it. And I just said, just get over it, we're going to be together. Like I knew it 100%. And uh, that was – that is grace as far as I'm concerned. That was uh, a, a great thing that happened. So, well, you, when you got married after you came back and I got married in L.A. and then the next time I saw you, we had dinner to meet each other's new husbands. That's right. And she was, you were looking for agents um, yes. in L.A. all that time ago, which was like just like a few months before you That's got right. the X-Men role. So Yeah, we were 
I was doing Oklahoma at the time and uh, my agent said, I think it's time for you to go. I wouldn't come over and she had Minnie Driver and she had Alfred Molina and we were doing the rounds of seeing all the agents. Um, I remember my English agent, I said, because um, he'd been there, I'd been there with him before and I said, right. and we'd just come in when you were doing Oklahoma and I said, mm. oh, yeah, my husband's looking for an agent, would you meet him? <laughs> he kept putting it off. He was like, yeah, yeah, didn't take the <laughs> meeting. He came the opening night of Oklahoma when it was too late and he was like, Damn, <laughs> I should have listened to you. He was so pissed. That was one meeting he didn't take that he lived to regret. Yeah. It's an unusual way to get in that gate, though. Usually yeah. you wouldn't think musical theatre would have led to other things. But to Wolverine. That was literally right. the audition with the perm <laughs> for Wolverine. Oh, I had a cap on my head when I went for that audition because I had a perm. I'm playing Curly. <laughs> I literally, my audition was between the Wednesday matinee and the Wednesday evening. And I raced off stage and I ran into Soho to do this audition. And then I actually, probably this is a good bit of fortune. I've never told anyone this, but I was, they were, as they do, running late. I'm a nobody. And I'm like, oh, I've got to be on stage. Like if I don't sign in, you know, in the theatre, you get fined, right? Or your, yeah. your understudy goes yeah. on. And I'm like, I remember knocking on the door. They say, sorry to interrupt, excuse me. Uh, and they're looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? I said, I really need to do my audition now or I'm out. And they're like, Who is this guy? and Ooh. I can see them going like, uh, yeah, leave. Like, but the guy who was just finishing, he goes, all right, come in here. And I was just like, all right. And they said, okay, which, I, let's just, can you just roll? We're really going to go. And I remember being a little shitty because I'd waited for an hour and a half and I was very, I hate being late, so yeah. I was pissed off. That's good work to Wolverine. Perfect. And I, I remember they said, so it was that energy. Yeah, we did a take. Or two, and then they said, um, "Can we do that one?" I said, "No, no, no. Let's do. The, can we just do the other scene? I've just got to make sure I get the other scene." And I remember them just going, "Who is this guy?" Cut to. Uh, that was the first of many auditions. Yeah, we did. Then like, it was I did Groundhog Day as we're in Hollywood, yeah. and he had to fly to Canada to do another audition, and then come back to Hollywood, and then right. go back again to, to Canada. I did like seven auditions, I think, for that. And they and really wanted to make sure they picked the right Wolverine. Right. Well, they cast somebody else. Well, Dubai. they did, and yeah. and he ended up being delayed in yeah, Sydney I, on Mission on Impossible. A, right. And must be thinking about that for the last twenty years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I send Tom Cruise a present every year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dugard. No, if we Tom actually met. If the movie hadn't fallen behind schedule, right? I don't know if you were there. Were you there at the Fox Studios opening? Did yeah. you go and go back for that? Yeah. So I don't know if you remember that moment because I was already booked to be the host of the opening of oh. that before I got Wolverine. So oh. I came back with these weird mutton chops and I was like, <laughs> it's a Fox, a Fox and Rupert's so I've got to do it. And they have the lineup of the stars. Nicole was there, you and Tom, all the people were there. And we were lining up Kate Blanchett and they would call us forward at the press thing. And I remember seeing, uh, hearing Dugray Scott and I went, and I looked down the line and when he walked out, he looked straight down the line at me. And I was like, hi. And he came up afterwards and he goes, dude, I said, man, I, I'm really sorry about it. He goes, mate, it's nothing to do with you. He goes, but that is an awesome role. Go and crush it. You're going to be great. Yeah. Now, I always thought he was a class act. There was a story somewhere that Russell Crowe recommended you as well yep. or was that... True, or was that just a... Brian wanted um, Russell to play Wolverine. I totally can see that. Like, a natural choice. I'm not, I, I'm not 100% sure why. I think Gladiator had happened. He'd won the Oscar. Maybe he was doing other things. I can't remember. But he said to him, you should look at this guy, uh, Hugh Jackman. Russell. Yeah, he's done that more than once for me, actually. Um, and also, 
with Les Mis. I've found out in the subsequent years, in the last five years, he must have made at least a dozen phone calls to high-up people like Dick Hook at then Disney, like saying we need to make sure Hugh Jackman gets a nomination, help me out with this. Like I had no idea he was doing that, you know. So he, he had mentioned me and I don't know... If Brian, Brian was trying to court him to get him in the movie at the time, so I don't know if that ever sunk in, but he did eventually say to me, he goes, you know, Russell did mention you. So thanks, Russ. Well, should I bring up the painful moment that you didn't want him to take the role of Wolverine? Is that true? As Hugh often mentions in his one-man show, there's only <laughs> one time in my life that I've been wrong and I'm thankful that I was wrong because my children get to go to college and have their tuition paid for. <laughs> so, yeah, well, he comes home with this script. Because I would imagine that you would really value Deb's opinion on... Oh, there wasn't an audition I didn't do without going through it with Deb or if she would read it, the scripts, which she has reading, then I would do that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so we're reading the script and it goes, shuck, his claws come out and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> so this, you're going to do this? What are you, a Wolverine? What is this? We'd never heard of it. As you've heard, as legend has it, yeah. Hugh thought he was doing the uncanny X-Men because it was... That was, you know, the Sydney rock band. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah like, he didn't know... That to play Brian Mannix? This yeah. is really oh, yeah. weird. <laughs> I've never heard of X-Men. So both of us had no clue and I did say, yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's really bad. We didn't get a script. It's still like that today, I think. They only sent out three pages. It was a worldwide search. They weren't sending the script out. So it was, you know, Wolverine senses danger, his nostrils flare. And then in massive letters, S-N-I-K-T, which is lifted from the comic book, which is what they write when the claws come out, snicked. Snicked. (laughs) And can I just reiterate, only time in our marriage I've been wrong. Take it away, kid. <laughs> thank God. Thank yeah, God. So I, all the of only a sudden, t- and the only time I've ever ignored your, your advice. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so you, you just said, I know, I feel that I have to do this and Jen, I'm going to go against Let's be honest. I wasn't choosing. There wasn't a massive amount of choice there for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like, babe, it's an audition, like... Uh, it's the only audition I've got right now <laughs> and, in the, and I'm in London. And we were impoverished in London, yeah. yeah. No, but I also knew that Doing Anna theater. Paquin and Ian, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart mm. and Brian who'd done Usual Suspects, I was like, mm, this doesn't sound schlocky to me. Like, but even if it was schlocky, I probably still would have gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, it was a, maybe a year later um, when my son turned one and you guys brought your six-week-old son, Oscar, to the park for Lucas's first birthday. That's right. And you had filmed and it hadn't come out. And I remember there was a couple of mums in the park and we were like, I was like, see that guy over there? In a couple of months... <laughs> he's going to be You're going to really want to see the movie he's in. And it happens immediately. I mean, it felt like watching what you were going through. What was that like for both of you? Remember the stoop mm-hmm. in New York? We were in New York and sitting out in our stoop. I was shooting then... I had another film, which the advice had been given to me, comic book movies are dead, make sure you book another movie before this thing comes out, right? This was from someone who had not seen it. What was it all about you? Someone like you. Someone like you. It was originally Animal Husbandry, someone like you. And so we were filming and we're in Lafayette here. Had a three-month-old baby. We sat out in the stoop and we'd gone to the premiere over in Ellis Island of X-Men um, and I said to Hugh, and and I, because I always have this intuition, I always, and I said, our life as we knew it has just shifted. This is, this is, there's a transition here, and and it was good because it was a slow evolution of us, sort of uh, adjusting to the fame and 
you know, a, just a, a different way of life. Um, but yeah, we. But that Monday morning, it was Ashley Judd uh, was in the movie. We were paparazzi followed us everywhere because Ashley was very. They always wanted photos of her. And I remember coming out on that Monday morning out of my trailer, seeing all the things, and I'm like, "Where's oh, I didn't see Ashley. I'm looking around it, and I realised I was taking photos of me." <laughs> and then that next year was kind of, it was a kind of golden year because 99 out of 100 people on the street didn't recognise me as Wolverine. So we had this amazing wow. things where things were happening, but I lived anonymously it was kind of i remember one time these two guys coming up and one guy going that's wolverine and the guys next to him like you're me and they're just saying and he goes that's not wolverine okay yeah there's Wolverine." and t- they were starting to make a scene i actually took out my wallet and showed my license <laughs> just to prove that i was so we could move on <laughs> i know and we still to this day like what are, what are those people staring at I'm like, oh, right, they're at the fame thing. <laughs> we still are a little vague about that. It did happen quickly. I, I, a week after that, I got a call to be in a movie with John Travolta. Now, for me, growing up watching Grease and... Hero. Yeah, huge hero. I was just like, yeah, it was crazy how it happened. And you you got very close to John Travolta on Swordfish. Um, he sort of, I think he took a liking to you and took you under his wing, so to speak. Yeah, John and I, John and I became really good friends. We're still good friends. Uh, he's an amazingly generous, impressive man. And I really enjoyed my time. My, I just, I'll make this 30-second. My best mate from high school, who's a mass, even bigger fan of John's than mine, came on set and it was a night shoot. And John said... Bring your mate Gus into my trailer and we'll have a cigar. And I was like, oh, my God, Gus is never going to forget this. And so we go in there smoking and he's like, it's two in the morning, right? So we're having a cigar and halfway through, Gus has been asking every – so when you're dancing with Olivia, like every sort of fan type question, he just goes really silent and then he goes pale and he'd been inhaling the cigar smoke and all of a sudden he ran from the table – and just made a... He actually vomited on the steps of John's trailer. He hurled. Yeah, he hurled. <laughs> Very uncool. He was trying and so hard to be really cool <laughs> for John and end up being really uncool. But he's another one that's um, that's always been really lovely about the way, you know, the fans and everything Well, he took like on that. like a more fatherly role with you, didn't he? he like mm. he, he was just beginning, so he was sort of mentoring him in the evolution yeah. of how you should go about how to handle the fame and how it, it you know he should you know manage his career he he was very supportive oh in several ways i remember we were shooting in ventura and there was th- we were there for 3 weeks and a lot of fans there there was a f- 10% x men 90% all john's fans and they would wait all day uh, every day and I got out, we'd come back from lunch, I'd get out and someone would just wave a thing and I'd go over and sign and John just pulled me over. He goes, mate, I get why you're doing it. You're being a nice guy, but we need to be in, in um, joint forces on that. So if you do it and I don't, makes me look bad. If I do it, you don't, makes me look bad. So here's what we'll do. We'll just do it once at the end of the day, wave and say I'll catch you at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, we'll both do it and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And at the end of the day, we went out and I started signing. I'm signing for like 10 minutes. I'm looking over thinking, and John's still signing. We signed for an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah. He's really generous. And then 
John's old school. He goes, man, if you ever get asked to introduce someone at a gala, if you ever get asked to present at the Oscars, you stand up there, you, you don't mumble and look like you're looking at the monitor like, oh, someone else wrote this, isn't this stupid? You don't give excuses. You turn up and you do your work and you, you, you be proud to be there and never take anything for granted. It's a class act. Classy. Yeah. And, and even pronouncing someone's name. I'm sorry, <laughs> I couldn't resist. When he did the Oscars, I did him as well. Oh, I think we all remember that. <laughs> I told when he him does, he can fully commits, but it just made me laugh when I, he did that. When he and I were talking about that, he, he was laughing so much, he goes, but, you know, weirdly, it's, I think it might have done her a favour, like the entire planet knows who No, it's, uh, I think that's true. What, what is her, Adina Menzel. Menzel. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> how many X-Men, how many times did you play Wolverine? Was it nine? Nine. It was Including nine. like one was a, like a, there was sort of two cameos. One yeah. was literally one line. I was on set for about 20 minutes. Um, but the other one was like two days. So if you include those nine. Do you feel, you were the one that made the decision that you wanted it to be over. Hmm. Was that a, a, from an acting point of view, from a story point of view, or just everything? There's a little bit of both. Um, I'd always felt that we hadn't quite nailed it. I had that feeling there was something else. I was, I never really treated him as a superhero. I, I always thought he was a human character, but, and really interesting one, you know. So, but I'd never felt we'd really got. Of all the superheroes, he's probably the most tortured, and in some ways, most interesting. And. So, I'm biased, of course. So, I'd always had that feeling and I had dinner with Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, it, it was As you do. <laughs> so, I was sitting next to him at this dinner and I was asking about the decision to finish uh, the TV series. And he said, you know, I've always believed firmly that if you go too far and too long in something, then it's Herculean to get your next project up. You must leave something in the tank creatively. And kind of as he was saying it to me, I just knew. Again, like I was told you on one hand, I knew the amount of times. And that I went on my way home to Deb. I said, Deb, this, this one is going to be the last one. And I'd already started to brew this idea of what would eventually become Logan. And I thought, this is perfect. That, that'd be the perfect way to go. So, and then probably I was more excited about that last one than all of the others. I just felt everything was coming together. You're probably a very rare person in Hollywood in terms of um, the choices of roles that you've gotten to play because there are a few people who could pull off Wolverine <laughs> and, you know, The Greatest Showman and Les Mis and, and all of that. You, you've always been able to balance those two sides. I mean, few people could pull off Wolverine and then, you know, a couple of great musicals. So... I think the musical side to me was a surprise. I, I studied theatre. When I came out and got in Beauty and the Beast, I was really shocked that I was going for that audition. And when I got it, and that was really where I learned how to sing, I suppose. But I, I've always loved the variety of acting. So when we were at drama school, I was so happy there because you'd go from circus skills to Shakespeare to modern to dance to... Voice workshop, whatever it was, it was completely different. You had to run and put different hats on. And I always remember thinking, this really suits me. Like, I love that variety. And so I was keen to open as many doors as possible and to keep them open. And there was a period around about 10 years ago where I was starting to get some feedback that it was negative, that like people didn't quite know where I fit, you know, quite 
a main dramatic actor, you, you know, you're known for Wolverine, but you do stage, you do this and do that. And but that comes with people wanting to wanting And you were doing Peter off. Allen, which was probably confusing right. and confounding people too. Yeah. The boy from Oz. Yeah, on but Broadway. my agent was always, man, you should always keep doing different things. Yeah. And so actually if some, it was his idea when I first began, after X-Men I deliberately took like Hayden Leopold with Meg or someone like you or Travolta Fish, Swordfish in that he said, I don't want you just to be the lead in a film and to burn out quickly. You, you're new to film, you're a theatre guy, you need to learn the craft. So I don't want to put you in a position where you're going to be overexposed and also I want directors to see that you can do a comedy, you can do a drama, you can do an action, you can do this and that. So I really owe a lot to Patrick Whitesaw who always saw the long-term game. Um, I don't think... I ever thought it would turn out this well. I mean, if I think about last year, it was kind of crazy and and amazing and I'm so grateful for it, really. Honestly, I, I, I'd always wanted to do a movie musical, you know. I auditioned for Moulin Rouge, didn't get it. I, I, I thought, I don't know if it's going to happen. I wanted to do theatre, I wanted to do films and I'm lucky enough to be able to do them all. Well, Deborah doesn't get to hear our interviews that we do with the Hollywood Foreign Press. <laughs> but one thing that I love that he always acknowledges is that, that you're the one that helps create the balance of, you know, what's best for the family. And well, that's been, for both of us. Family yeah, and always it's been comes a big, first. It's been a big journey for both of you mm. and you've had to give up a lot and both of you have given up People things. say I have to give up a lot and I, it's not that – it's my choice. It's like I choose – to, uh, you know, family was that. And I, I, sh- I did start working and I'd be sitting in, on location. I just thought, I don't want to be here. Yeah. But, I need, um, but I'm a creative person. So I just had to reinvent myself. Like I shot a film on the, as we were traveling around, mm. I'd made a short film or I'll paint. Or I remember as standing room only, standing wasn't it? Standing room only. Which, so, which I shot in London. I found the money in, in New yeah. York and we just sort of, I had to do it on the road. Um, and see, also at that time, you know, I, I mentioned also women of an age, there was not, there wasn't a huge selection. I mean, it was much easier for the male of the species, which I'm happy to say now with this whole new swell of environment that um, women, it's, it's, it's their day. It's, it's our time. It's, you know, to, to have work. Yeah. And now with Netflix and all these things, there's a huge array of work out there. So I'm just starting to think about, you know, because my kids are of an age. But, um, yeah, but it was a choice that I made and we, everything we did together and it was about family. I mean, you know, where it was going to be shot, you know, we're not all going to go to Siberia together. Mm. <laughs> um, but it's worked. I mean, you know, we're, 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 we're artists, we, we're creative, we play and you just, if for people who have, you know, a rigid way of living, this lifestyle wouldn't work. But we are pretty flexible and we just, you know, roll with the punches and that's what we've done for the last 20 years. I was explaining to you actually, Jen, at the last conference I did for the HFPA that there are times, and I can remember them at least five or six times, where you'll just look at me very calm and say, like, not now, it's time to take a break, or yeah. no, don't you, I can't have you away right now, but it very rarely happens almost all, but sometimes I'll take on too much, and you'll be the one to go, not now. Yeah, but you hate to disappoint people too. So you, you're all, he's very generous. He's always up for it. So it's just about keeping balance that we, we don't go out of whack. You know, and our kids will know if we're preoccupied. I think you've also forgotten the time when I got Oklahoma and you'd been accepted into VCA directing school, which is very prestigious. There was only two spots, I think, every year and it was the most – and it was when you were like, I want to become a director and you'd applied and you got in 
And I said, oh, we've got to stay here. And you're like, oh, are you kidding me? You go to the National Theatre of Oklahoma, you've got to do that. I remember that was – I remember being re- – that was really important moment and something that I, I, I really meant a lot to me. Yeah, well, that's, that's a compromise. That's a marriage compromise. Oh. And I'm still getting oh, around to that directing thing. Huh? Now. You two need to get a room. <laughs> no, I'm still working on that directing Well, that's thing. what I was going to ask you <laughs> next well, because away, you, yeah, you were so. a born director, Deb. I know. And so even though I was an actor, I'm I was assuming like, that's, that chapter is still... No, your... it's still very much alive and I feel like... And there's many women out there that relate to this. When you've got the kids, you just check out for those years and you're there. And I'm starting to come back into it. You know, it, we all come into it whatever age we do. And I still have that passion that I do want to direct. It scares the hell out of me, but that's another reason why I do want to do it. Um, but I, 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 it's like I'm slow to catch on, but I thought no one is going to come to me and say, Deb, love you to direct this. So I, I'm realising now I've got to do the hard slog. I have to actually sit down with the pen and paper and do the writing. And so many directors, writers, I know that is the hard part. That's the slog. But I've started the process and I'm enjoying it. And I hope, Jen, that we'll be doing this podcast and I'll be telling you all about the film I just directed. <laughs> Do you think you'll work together? I it? hope so. I really hope so. I'm On anything. I was going to say, would you want to be directing <laughs> <laughs> You're looking forward to directing him. <laughs> Did you know you screen, didn't hear? She said auditioning. auditioning. Oh. Yeah, nothing's <laughs> taken for granted here. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be fun. But you, you've had an incredible... Um, You've, you've found been able to embrace philanthropy and, you know, you've really been able to make changes. And both of you are very much like that with your the, the global stuff in New York and Laughing Man. And We're hosting the Global Citizen Festival in Central Park. Ah, and I Adopt get to Change. Sean Mendez is one of my favourite pop stars. Wow. But, yeah, adopt, I'm thrilled with the work we did in Australia. Well, that all evolved sort of naturally. I never set out to be an advocate or any of that and I saw an injustice in Australia where I saw because Hugh and I had adopted children so many people would come up and say I'd love to adopt but it's just too hard and I just went one day why Mm. that took me on a 10-year journey of and I'm thrilled to say I was just in Canberra this summer um, announcing uh, parliamentary friends of adoption in in a climate that has been anti-adoption for decades decades that we have parliamentary friends of adoption so and you, we've got an office in Sydney, you know, we've got 20 staff and we're really making a shift and children are getting out of foster care that have been stuck there for oh. years and years. So that is thrilling, yes. So that was, you know, a lot of my energy went into that because, as I say, you know, we're flexible. I just saw the injustice and it was a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. That I couldn't better think that, you know, here's these people that want to be parents and here's these children that need parents, let's get them together. Um, I know we don't have much time left, so I'm just going to ask the question I ask everyone about Aussies in Hollywood is, do you have any theories about why (laughs) so many Australians um, have... It's a very small country and and even, you know, from the the last wave, even when you came, Hugh, there's been, like we were saying earlier, you, you can't even keep track of how many of them are getting cast everywhere and behind the scenes too, directing and DPs and... Do you yeah. think there's something innately about us as Australians that... I always wondered about that. I think there is a, a great quality about Australians that we're very authentic. I think we are, by our culture, if you sort of... Every culture has a personality and I think we're very down-to-earth and very present and real. We're like old pioneers. I don't know. There's something that's truthful. Uh, you know, like... 
I know when I'm in England, everyone's so polite. I'm like, but what do you really mean? You're being so nice. <laughs> and and I think Australians just tell it how it is. And I think there's something very appealing about that authenticity. And maybe because we are on the other side of the pond and the other, we have to fight to be heard. We're like the youngest child in the family. Like, hey, hey, I got something to say. Mm -hmm. So I think Australians just, and we've got that, you know, as Hugh says in his show again, let's give it a go. We dive in. There's a. There, yeah, I, I love that we have. We we don't have fear. It would seem that we just sort of will give it a shot and dive into the the world scene and say, I think I can do this. Because who knows when you start out to be an actor or a director or an accountant or whatever you're going to be, if you're going to mm. be any good. So there, there's a courage in there. Yeah, I think that's a that having a go, uh, getting stuff done with a sense of humour and a light-heartedness and not taking themselves too seriously, which I'm not just talking about actors, but if you look at, you know, Jeffrey Rush or Judy Davis, Mel Gibson, Kate and Deb, uh, Russell Crowe, there's the, the variety of roles that they will take on and take a risk um, is, I think, huge. And probably if you look at Crews, Crews are known, Aussie Crews are known for working seriously hard and solving problems it's not about throwing money at it. It's like, ah, oh, we can solve that, mate. We'll, we'll make it work. Don't worry. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. Can do that kind of can do thing. I, and I remember when you told that story about that guy with the oh, leeches the on his leg the in, grip. on yeah. the set of Australia. Yeah, I, I said to this the first day, he was uh, English. And I said, what is tell me about Aussie Cruz. What makes him different? He goes, see Rocky over there? I said, yeah. He goes, we just did a shot yesterday. And he's up to his waist doing a tracking shot out of the water. And Brandon's on the horse and the horse comes out of the water. So he's tracking and as he comes out of the water, his King G's, right, a stick in. And then below his King G's, he said there must have been 50 leeches on oh, each of his oh, legs. That'd be enough. I'd and as them. we're doing the slow track, he's like, Rocky, Rocky. You look and he goes, leeches, mate. And he looks down and he goes, yeah, mate, I'll get it after the shot. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, that's what I love about Aussie Cruz. I know. I remember when I was, because when I was working in Hollywood and Sydney at the same time, and people say, what's the difference working in both places? And I remember when I was in Hollywood, I was like, oh, Miss Furness, you know, can I give you a foot massage? Would you like ice chilled water here? And here's your tray. There was that whole sort of, you know, revering of the artist. And then I'd be on a film in the, in the outback of Australia going, can I have a chair? <laughs> it's like you're all in together and it's like find you're your own carrying chair. the props yeah, and helping and exactly out. there's no demarcation it's just you muck in and you get it done i remember seeing you on the set of australia up in kananara and you were standing in line with the lunch yeah, with right. the crew for lunch you weren't yeah. like somebody get me the lunch yeah. and bring it oh, here no i tried like... to push him but they wouldn't let me rocky, <laughs> rocky was like get lost mate yeah <laughs> um i think i've often thought that Weirdly, uh, kind of, this is, a, I suppose, a sociology uh, essay waiting to happen, but Australians watched, we had this English sort of history. Most of the TV we would get was American. We were this sort of mix of things, so we watch and we're outsiders. So we had this sort of ability and we also have a healthy disrespect for uh, authority. So we go into a place, like ready to do the work. We're not going to kiss ass. We're just going to sort of get it done. And some of those qualities really help, I think. Mm. I also think that the Australians are very, um, they're very supportive of each other. Oh, for um, sure. I mean, that's what's sure. been so lovely about being here all this time is that you see. Every, it's a six degrees thing. I mean, people do go, like, do all the Aussies know each other? And you sort of go, oh, how could everyone know each other? But somehow there does seem to be this little group. I mean, you know, you 
You had Nicole sleeping on your couch when she came to audition for Days of Thunder. Yeah, I remember with the phone ringing, I'm like, Nicole. And she's sitting in the lounge and I said, Tom Cruise is on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're all like, you know, bunking in and yeah. yeah. And then, you know, then she had, you know, Simon and Rebecca come and stay in her guest house and then Naomi's there and then there's sort of this group that just grew out of that yeah. time, I think, that was really was great kind time. of special. Yeah. And it's supportive mm. and mentorship, you know, they're still to this day, I think, mentoring the next generation to, like, helping them. What were you going to say? One more theory I have. <laughs> I have no idea if this really, but it's You've a small You've really been industry. thinking about this. Oh, yeah, I get asked it all the time yeah. and I, I keep coming up with different theories. I don't know if any of them are correct, but it's a small industry. You can't, you have to be open to doing anything. You have to be really well trained if you're going to make it. Actually, we probably... Per actor, per capita, more of them do a three-year course than maybe anywhere else, maybe England. So by the time – and we make a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of my mistakes on Man from Snow River, the TV series. Ah. I filled in for Guy Pearce who was doing LA Confidential for five episodes. You know, wow. So by the time I was auditioning, I was nearly 30 going – I'd worked out a lot, you know what I mean, So of, of things. And, and I'd had a three-year, four years of training. So I think a lot of actors do a lot of training in Australia. Oh, yeah. And people, people think you just arrive and you're just there. I know Naomi. I mean, I was in Hollywood with Naomi. She spent a long time – Naomi Watts we're talking about um, – you know, out mm. there, relentless rejection. It just takes one gig – and you're off, but you've got to have that perseverance. I love what Henry Winkler said at the Emmys the other night. You know, it's been 40 years or something he, since he was last nominated. He said, he said, see, you sit at the table long enough, they've got to give you something. <laughs> you know, but it's true. It's that, just that perseverance. Yeah, yeah. And hanging in there, yeah. So um, what's next work-wise for both of you if you're – I don't know if you're – Well, Debbie. I'm not – Hugh, uh, Hugh, I'll – Toot your horn here because as Australians we don't toot our own horn. Uh, mm. <laughs> Hugh's just finished a project called The Front Runner playing Gary Hart, which some people remember was a presidential candidate back in the 80s and they say the greatest president America never had and um, probably predicted a lot of what the world looks like at the moment. And I, that's, you know, you talk about that diversity of him playing different characters. He goes from The Greatest Showman and Logan and he's playing this. It just makes me laugh because I look up at the screen and he's my husband and here's this Midwestern guy with his, bre- his braces on and his ring and he does a beautifully nuanced, um, layered performance of this very complex man. So I and wholeheartedly agree. I've seen it. And yeah. It, it was a whole Thank other side of you and I know that that can't be easy because there was a lot of restraint in that mm. performance yeah. as well. Which is harder, the nuances yes. and the subtlety of that. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so over to you, darling. You, Deb, uh, she's writing, reading, getting ready to direct her Oscar-winning film. She's also right? a procrastinator, so <laughs> I'm trying to make that happen. She well, also is an amazing artist and painter. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I looked at this script. This guy flew in. And I'm like, why, why? He goes, you're a good actor. I'm like, yeah, but I've been out there for a while. And I, I read the script. And I said, Hugh, I, I can't do this. I mean, it's amazing character. She's an adulteress. She's a murderer. And there's a scene in there where she's strapped up to a bed with handcuffs. It's a sex scene. I said, I'm too old to be doing this. I don't want my kids seeing this. And he goes, well, with the guy we're asking to play the other guy is Bradley Cooper. I said, well, maybe I can give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I said, you can't do that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. Um, uh, 
And what else? I'm about to start a film with Corey Finley, who did a movie called Thoroughbreds, was his first movie, which I loved. Uh, and this is called Bad Education with um, Alison Janney and uh, Ray Romano and a bunch of others. Um, true story about a short, fat Italian guy. So you're an obvious choice. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, he. I don't give too much away about it, but in 2004, true story, he was a superintendent of the school here on Long Island. Took the school from a nothing over 12 years to number four in the country. And unbeknownst to anyone, he and the assistant stole 12 million dollars from the school district. And it was all uncovered by the by the school newspaper, a girl in the school newspaper. Uh, who I believe now is at the New York Times. But anyway, yeah. it's it's the unraveling of that story. So that that's, sounds great. That's the next one, yeah. Um, you, I, I see a lot of funny Twitter wars with you and Chris Emsworth and Ryan Reynolds. Is that? Yeah. Do you guys enjoy that whole thing? That's our dog. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that's our dog. Uh, yeah, I love it. But well, you know, that's the other thing that Aussies. You're only sure people really like you. If they're absolutely having a go at you, right? If they're ribbing you, making fun, if they're having a go, you know, in the right spirit. And anyway, I love those guys. And uh, yeah, we've been having a bit of fun. I remember when Eric Banner was playing the Hulk and you two were laughing right. about being <laughs> the Hulk and Wolverine. And there, Chris Hemsworth has come along now and he's Thor. And, yeah, it's wild, you know, you're it? Wolverine. It's, it's yeah. kind of crazy. All yeah. the Aussies that are superheroes. Now. I know. Yeah, uh, well, our crazy. kids, well, Klaus is Eric's son and Oscar and our kids are all going, well, isn't everyone's dad a superhero? <laughs> <laughs> well, you two are superheroes to Australians because you've just been such great examples of – and also coming back and giving back. It's so – I just want to thank you and, and really appreciate your time. I know you're the busiest two people I know and and I've been patient but I was so excited I finally got to do this. So thank you very much. And thanks to you, Jen, for all you do, which people may not know, not apart from this podcast with the Aussies in film and many, many, many things that you do. You're really kind of actually the engine room behind that community of Aussies in film and keeping it and also in giving back and making opportunities available to others so I, I no and you're so supportive like every Aussie that comes through I remember when I landed in Hollywood you were there with a cup of tea and the, the pad and like let's go and you were so supportive and wanted to champion me you know going through the system and you've always done that with every Australian and, and I've loved the journey with you and watching our kids grow up together oh that's lovely and by the way Deborah Lee was my date for the Golden Globes before she was yours here. <laughs> just, just saying. She's the best date, right? But, yeah, but <laughs> I'm still fun. in the back of the room and she's moved up. So <laughs> I'm a few tables down now. <laughs> It'll all come back around again, Jen. You know that. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, darling. It's lovely to hear the Jackmans talk about their amazing success with so much humility. Hugh has gotten rave reviews for his recent performance in The Front Runner as failed US presidential candidate Gary Hart. And for Deb, after celebrating the 30th anniversary of her classic Australian film Shame, she's finally carving out time to write and develop something to direct. And I'm sure you'll agree after listening to her talk, she was born to direct, right? And that's all for now from Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood was presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and recorded in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production was by Nick Slater, and executive producer was Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the app, or look me up on iTunes. <laughs>